folks, it's time for Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show about the crucial political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and the nation at large. Join us for a stimulating, thought-provoking discussion. You'll get the facts as we focus on the challenges facing everyone. Good morning, folks. Welcome to Democratic Perspective. We're interviewing um, candidates for the Sedona City Council today, and we have two of them with us. Um, I think two of the best. You know, is, uh, we've never endorsed candidates uh, uh, formally, but these guys, it's very tempting to do so. Um, why don't we have you, you guys introduce yourself? Tell, tell us just a little bit about your background. Brian first, and, and then we'll go to Pete. All right, great. Thanks, Stephen. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Brian Foltz, and I am a resident of the Chapel area. I've uh, been a property owner here for about 18 years and just finished first year of full-time residency. Uh, I've gotten really involved in Sedona in the time that I've been here, uh, completing the Citizens Academy, uh, have gotten appointed on to the Community Plan Update Working Group, so really been working hard to hear the voice of the residents in our community, learn how our city operates, try to identify what the key issues are that uh, people are saying are important to them, and, and really put my energy into solving them or trying to come up with some solutions for them and not just waiting until the election's over to actually start making some change. Uh, historically, background-wise, I'm an engineer by original training, uh, have lived through much of the Midwest and was in Atlanta for much of the last 20 years. I'm a small business owner uh, with a consultant business and some franchises that I own. Uh, my wife uh, works here in Sedona at the Sedona Charter School, and I'm a father of three. So that's kind of the, the brief background on me. So Pete, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. Great. Thanks, Steve and Karen. Thanks for having us here today. This really is an important venue, you know, to get messages out. So we appreciate that. I'm Pete Furman. I'm a four and a half year resident of Sedona. I live in West Sedona, above the Safeway there. Uh, I am currently a Planning and Zoning Commissioner. Uh, I also uh, currently serve on the Sedona Police Pension Board. And then, you know, since moving here, I've served on the work groups. I've served on a work group that studied home rule after our election four years ago that was so contentious. Uh, I've also served on the um, uh, Budget Commission, uh, Budget Committee. Uh, but prior to moving to Sedona, I served for eight years as chief of staff to the mayor of San Jose, California. So although this is my first elected position, I've never run for office before. I've been involved in local government for 15 years or so. And, you know, and I think that's important because uh, serving in the public uh, is, you know, it's it's not for everybody. It, it takes a thick skin. You have to uh, know how to uh behave on the dais and talk about issues and be rational and and think logically and 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 think through you know the the pros and the minuses of every decision that you make we have some candidates i think would disagree with you on those, those <laughs> items but you you brought up home rule so so let's start with home rule um there's so much misinformation particularly on the on the one social media that i go to a lot next door it's massive, it's, it's repetitive, and it, 
there's always somebody coming in with a new piece of misinformation. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about home rule, and then maybe Brian will have something to add. Sure. You know, when I'm out there knocking on doors and talking to our, our residents, this is definitely a topic of conversation. And I find it quite useful to go back and actually talk about what this is all about, what's the history of it a little bit. And cities across Arizona are subject to a state-imposed spending limit. And uh, it doesn't apply to the state, by the way. It's just another one of those mandates that the state <laughs> did to cities. Uh, and, and they did that back in the 70s when property taxes in some Arizona cities were rising and getting a little out of control, and the state decided to impose a spending limit. has nothing to do with the amount of money a city receives. It just has to do with how much they can spend. And so they set the number um, based around 1980, and there's a factor in there for the growth of the city and, uh, and inflation. And then Sedona comes in. We're not incorporated, of course, until the late 80s, and so they established a number for us. Uh, um, but we all know that Sedona is a completely different city today than it was back then. And, and uh, it's not just that our population changed or didn't change in inflation. It's the influx of tourists and all the spending that uh, taxes received that's associated with them. So cities across the state either have to abide by this state-imposed formula or there's two options for them. One is to do what's called home rule, which Sedona has been doing for the last 26 years in a row successfully. 65% of the people in these elections typically vote for, for home rule. Uh, another option is what's called a permanent base adjustment. That's an interesting thing to talk about. We're not having very much of that conversation in the city today. And really, it's for stable cities. A permanent base adjustment is a way to, to change that state-imposed limit and to have it then fixed, growing only by population and inflation. But that applies really to cities that are stable. Sedona isn't in terms of the influx of of uh, tourism and the tax dollars, and so that's really not uh, on the con on the t uh, uh, table for us to talk about these days. So it's home rule or not home rule, and and the difference in the the spending cap is just tremendous. And if Sedona were to lose home rule, we would just not be able to spend those you know hundred million dollars of tax revenue that comes in uh, from uh, mostly from tourists. 75 or 80 percent comes from tourists. We wouldn't be able to spend it. It would sit in the bank. We wouldn't be able to do some things. And, and there's lots of other consequences. But, Brian, why don't you chip in a little bit? Sure. I think uh, one of the key uh, points that those that oppose home rule like to talk about is this belief that, oh, well, if we vote down home rule, then each year we can bring uh, an override vote to the community that the city council would propose a budget that may well exceed what that cap is and that the residents would then be able to vote on an override. But that's not what is envisioned in the law and in fact in the history of this expenditure limit environment existing there has never been a single instance in which a community has chosen to go this route of trying to implement an annual override vote. So we really don't even know whether it 
can work logistically, and it's certainly not uh, a, a smart way of being able to plan for long-term capital projects and things like that, where you don't really know now whether you're going to have the city's approval, the resident's approval mm-hmm. over a multi-year project like our SIM projects, our Sedona in Motion projects designed to help mitigate the impacts of the excess tourism that we've experienced. And I think when you put it into real dollar terms right now, if we lost home rule, uh, our uh, cap would be around $29 million that we would be able to spend. And we have a $110 million budget that the city council is going to vote on tomorrow. Now, it's also important to point out that that budget has two major components. There's an operating budget, and then there's the CapEx budget. And not everybody really understands the difference there. So the operating budget is the the piece that's about $60 million of that 110 And it's all about the ongoing operation of your city, the things that you do day in, day out, your police, your sewer, uh, you know, uh, System and those sorts of expenditures. And then the CapEx, that's the part of uh, making capital improvements in your community that help uh, with building parks and road improvements, things like that. So if we don't have home rule, not only do we not actually have enough approval you know, granted to the uh, city council for our operating budget, we don't have approval for doing those capital projects. And so now we got to go to the residents every single year. Um, one of the practical aspects about that also is, you know, as a candidate, um, you know, we're running uh, and seeking the uh, the approval and the blessing from the community that you trust us and you want us to make good decisions on your behalf. Uh, and that's what representative government's all about. So, you know, as a candidate, you know, please vote for me, but do so with the trust that I'm going to make good decisions on the yep. behalf on behalf of the community for years to come. And there's a lot that goes into deciding whether or not to approve a budget. And, you know, as a candidate, and I know Pete will uh, be able to, to back this up, you know, I've spent over 100 hours this year, just this year alone, sitting in city council meetings trying to become knowledgeable about how the city operates, how the council works, the things that are put in front of them. And all of that builds up to having the ability to make an intelligent decision about a budget. I don't think it's realistic to expect 80% of our voting population to spend that kind of time to be that aware of the decisions that go into a budget proposal and then be able to make an intelligent decision and about it. Isn't it my understanding, though, Brian, you mentioned something about the home, uh, the permanent base adjustment, these sort of stable sort of cities. I've got a, a feeling that most of the cities and towns in Arizona that rely on, let's say, tourism dollars and tax a tax base of sales tax from tourists, which is not a necessarily stable income, use home have home rule. That yeah. that's the standard for. Yeah, Karen, yeah. that's you know what are there ninety one cities in Arizona? Yeah. I think nine of them. I think that's the number. Nine of them, seven or nine, uh, adhere to that state-imposed limit. All the rest choose one of the options, Mm -hmm. the two main options being either home rule or the permanent base adjustment. No city in Arizona, as Brian said, tries this one-time override on an annual basis. It wasn't designed or envisioned for that. It's it's not clear that the state would even allow people to do that. And if I may, just uh, another thing tack on to what Brian was saying. 
you know, if people are out, because, you know, this is part of the conversation. If people are out there thinking that this one-time override could work, um, Brian mentioned that these capital projects that are so critical for us to try and alleviate some of the traffic problems and infrastructure problems that we have, they're multi-year projects. But if you're asking the citizens to vote every year on the budget, you won't get bidders. We won't get contractors to even bid on these multi-year projects because they don't know whether they will get the money the next year for the for the job. So what that forces what what that'll do is the cities will start to look at debt financing projects. Now, Sedona is the healthiest fiscally, the healthiest city that I've ever seen. I mean, it's amazing. We cash finance almost everything. Only the sewer treatment plant was debt financed because the feds made us do that. Um, uh, so we're super fiscally healthy. We cash finance everything. But if we're trying to use this one-time override every year, we're going to start to think about debt financing capital projects because debt financing in this complicated calculation of spending limits, it gets pulled out. So you can repay debt, and that's not counted against these limits. And so that's the direction that we'll go. I don't like that. We we should be darn proud of where we are fiscally in this city, and we want to continue that tradition. I have a question from a listener. Um, suppose um, uh, the um, home rule fails. Okay. What happens to all the money that's above this, this what, $17 million, $27 million that will be allowed? What happens to all that money? It does sit in the bank. It sits in the bank until uh, council and you know can decide that there is a, a good reason now to do a one-time emergency override to spend a certain amount of money on a project that they can get done in a year. <laughs> it seems like we have a system that works and has worked since the entire the founding of Sedona, I think, in 1988. It's always worked. It works fine. And every four years we have, in the past, it's been... The opposition has been funded by a couple of billionaires, you know, and this time it seems more uh, more populist. I mean, it's it's all the misinformation out on the uh, social medias is really is really hard to deal with. I know you guys are running your campaign, but um, the in, in an environment of misinformation, it's hard to get your message out. That's, that's very true, and to sort of tack on to that, a very big concern of mine, again, if somehow we lose home rule and people are trying to do this one-time override, it's a special election. It happens in March of every year. That's kind of early in the budget cycle. You, you put a number out there and you let people vote on it, and then you decide exactly how to spend it is kind of the process. But you have to think about what's a special election. Special elections are interesting animals. They are really controlled by the special interests and people with money. And so it won't be the voice of the residents of Sedona that really get involved in that campaign. It'll be, you know, interesting special interests and people with big money that are trying to determine, you know, what the, the, the future of Sedona is. So that's just another one of my worries. I, that's that. I follow that in the sense that when I look at it from a perspective, um, I don't think there's a decent argument to get rid of home rule unless you hate the city, so Sedona City Council and Sedona government, unless you want to cripple and hurt the government so it can't do things. There is no logical, reasonable argument. It's not like it's it's 
it's a debate on one hand mm-hmm. and on the other. It's like we have this overwhelming successful program mm-hmm. and successful votes. And we have every four years somebody comes out and opposes it. Um, it's shocking to see that all that stuff on um, on the social media. Let's go on to to healthcare because I know that you you said you've told me that you're you're being hit with lots of questions about healthcare. Brian, you want to start? Sure. So, you know, when you read over social media in the recent months, there's certainly been many uh, folks talking about how they've lost their primary care doctor or they've lost their second or their third primary care doctor in just six to 12 mm-hmm. months. And these are people that are leaving northern Arizona health care. And then the council invited uh, the executives from NAH to a recent council meeting. And as part of that, you know, sort of a future was projected. Which suggested that NAH would desire to downgrade our emergency department here in Sedona at the end of the five-year period, of which we're to and change into right now, uh, that they would want to downgrade that to an urgent care center. And you know that, that's a concern on any level to hear that you're going to lose, uh, you know, that degree of care in your community. We've got a population that skews, you know, uh, on average, well above. 60 years of age, so there's going to be a more likely need for uh, emergency services, and we are an outdoor adventure mecca, and unfortunately, our tourists get hurt here, <laughs> and, Truly, and yes. they do, uh, and, and they need to be rescued, and then they need to have prompt medical care. So it, it's really important that we continue to have that care available to us. Um, not only is it important, but NAH happens to control 34 acres around that emergency department. And they've had all it all. That empty, empty land is. That's right. They, they, they've had that a long time, and they've in the past said, oh, well, you know, maybe we'll develop it for this reason or that reason, but they haven't. And now they're not saying that they even support maintaining the emergency department here. So the writing looks like it's on the wall. And I think that we need to be pretty blunt about the situation with them. And it's either time to fish or cut bait. Either you want to be a meaningful part of this community and not just the emergency department, but to have an environment where our health care providers, your, your general practitioners and so forth that are associated with NAH actually want to be here. I don't think that they're going to opt for that option. So I think we should be realistically looking at what's plan B, and that's us finding alternative uh, health care providers that would be interested in supporting this community and encouraging uh, an amiable separation, if need be, with NAH and make plans for them to begin selling that 34 acres so it can be used for medical providers' offices, uh, housing for those employees of those medical uh, providers, that's where I think we're most likely headed. Pete? Yeah, uh, Brian said the tourists get hurt. It's not just the tourists. I broke my leg out there on my mountain bike and uh, <laughs> and had to go to our emergency room, and, you know, that was a, a good experience back in the day. Recently, uh, my wife had some uh, surgery, and then she had some complications following it, so I spent two two weeks either in the hospital or in the emergency rooms around here. And uh, and we actually did the tour of ERs, uh, Sedona, Flagstaff, and ended up back down in Phoenix. Uh, and so these are really critical resources. And one of my biggest concerns for Sedona is our declining population. 
we you know we're we're shrinking right now. We need to turn that around and and rebuild it because it's exactly services like healthcare that depend on a population of people. And the smaller we get, the less of these services that we'll have. So we need to, you know, try to figure out how to work uh, cooperatively, um, if we can, hopefully with NAH or uh, another provider. Um, it is NAH, NAH's property that's around here, so it's their decision to sort of what to do with it. Um, but the city, you know, can be influential in, in yeah. working with And we them. know you've got a population decline because of areas of workforce housing mm-hmm. and things like that. So people looking, for, you know, younger people looking for that kind of housing can't afford to live here, so they live elsewhere. But then we've got a, a senior citizen retirement mm-hmm. community, and what those folks look for is the access to good health care. Mm-hmm. So if you're losing one aspect of, of people due to affordability to live here, if we start to lose the people who come here to retire and decide they're going to move down to Phoenix because they want to be closer you know, to top-notch medical care, and when we know that the, that population of Sedona can afford top-notch medical care, it's when, not an, when, it's when not when an issue of affordability. Um, it's asking about, yeah. about health care in Sedona was like number one non-environmental question. What kind of deer is that? You know, it's going to be number one, those kind of questions. But number two was about health care. And it was handy to be able to show them the health center, and that reassured people. There are plenty of great hospitals in Sedona, I mean in uh, Phoenix, you're saying, that would be glad to come up here, bring some of their doctors on a rotating basis, take over running the, the health center if, if Northern Arizona doesn't want to do it. I didn't talk to a healthcare executive outside of the NAH system that I happen to know from my days of being uh, chief of staff. And uh, he says that we do have a challenge here in Sedona. A population of 10,000 is um, right at the borderline of where health services can kind of become self-sustaining. So, again, my concern about mm-hmm. our declining population, and we need to get on the plus side of that to be able to maintain enough demand that a, that a, a system will want to be. Here. And this is regional because it's not just doctors here, it's doctors in Cottonwood. I have friends mm-hmm. in Cottonwood who experience the same issue with turnover of doctors. So it's not just us. It's not that yeah, the I, doctors would be in Cottonwood. It's because doctor is going to be in Flagstaff or Phoenix. It's not even anywhere within the Verde Valley. So this is a regional issue that everybody should be working together because to drive to Cottonwood for some non-emergency care isn't the issue. To drive to Phoenix for non-emergency care is a major issue. For mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe yeah. half our medical care, we um, go either down to Cottonwood or we go up to Flagstaff right. as is. Yeah, Steve, I mean, I would not want to underestimate the challenge that lies ahead. So when I say I think we need to be planning for Plan B, I don't think it's a slam dunk that these other providers uh, and or networks will just automatically say, oh, NAH, they're not interested? Okay, well, fine, yes. let us jump in. Now, I think Pete's right on. I mean, a declining population has a lot of unintended consequences, and, and this is certainly one of them. Even though the declining population is like, 100 people or 200 people. It's not a big decline in population. Well, we're down from, you know, 11,000 in our past. So, you know, know, it is more than I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So health care, and I think that that's really on a top list on Sedona people when they think about it. But there's no guaranteed solution, you're saying, Brian, Pete. There's no... There's no guarantee that honor hospital system will come up here or whatever. Right, no guarantees. I just think we need to start having those conversations now because this is not something that you just flick a switch and say, oh, it was NAH today, it's on or tomorrow. It definitely doesn't work that way. And it's important when a 
a mayor and a council reach out to um, businesses and, you know, we recruit and, you know, we can start these conversations with people. Mm -hmm. And that means a lot going, taking that first step and reaching out your hand and having those discussions. Mm -hmm. And and again, I mean, while I might not be optimistic that NAH is the long-term partner, I certainly would not give up on trying to make that work because they're here already. And there's a lot less, you know, pain of change, uh, you know, that would go along with getting a, a better in, uh, relationship, a better long-term commitment from NAH. So certainly cannot, you know, give up on that. We're doing a kind of deep dive, but what's involved in, in that in getting NAH uh, to stay and keep, keep the level of, of care that has been given all these decades? Well, one of the things that we can do is, it's the answer to all these issues that we talk about workforce housing NAH, you know has a trouble recruiting doctors in this area because it's expensive to live and so we need to work on this issue of of uh, less expensive well bigger diversity of the kinds of houses sedona is famous for having you know beautiful single family homes and we've got a lot of them uh, our options to single-family homes are far less than a town of our size should have. And so so let's address out. that. Let's address workforce housing, Brian. Okay, so I, what's interesting and, and what's just such a contradiction of terms with NAH is they've got 34 acres of land right there. And so part of their response is, oh, well, people don't want to live where they work or don't want to live near where they work. And my response to that is, this is Sedona, Arizona. I don't know that there's any place here that's not desirable to be within our city limits. You know, maybe, you know, next to the recycling center might not be, you know, your most ideal place. But I can think of a whole lot worse places in life to live than somewhere associated with those 34 acres near the emergency center. Yeah, they're all going to be apartments with a great view. <laughs> that's yeah. right. That's it seems right. like an ex- more of an excuse than a reason because a lot of people, wouldn't you like to be able to just walk over to work if you Precisely. were a doctor? I mean, I mean, I would think that would be an attractive option if you have good housing right nearby. Precisely. And I think as we explore this issue further about workforce housing, where those people live, where they work, how they get to work, it really, really matters. And and maybe this is already jumping into one of the weeds of of the topic, but um, we need, you know, there was a housing study a few years ago that says, well, we need 1,500 housing units here in Sedona. I mean, from a, just a broad practical perspective, I don't think we could ever come close to building that many. But, but even a large-scale project, say one that might get, uh, put in place at the cultural park at some point, you got to be careful what you wish for because if all of a sudden we brought a thousand more housing units to Sedona or 500 more housing units to Sedona, oh my gosh, how are those people going to get around on our roads? Because we're not going to be building more roads. So it really matters that that ability to live and work and not have to, to get in a car or to be able to use transit really matters. But, you know, Brian and I were both business owners. Brian still is a business owner and business decisions are complex. And so you can't sort of lay it out. It's not an easy decision for them. If they're holding on to land because they were hoping the medical center would grow, that's the best place for it to grow. And so they just have to, and I'm sure they are. It's a very difficult process. I'm sure they're thinking through their options and what makes sense for their business. And 
you know, they, we, we, can, we can help them think through what, what, the, what the future is. So there are ways you can interact with them because in the past they've been sort of here but not here in terms of decision making. Mm-hmm. Here in terms of the presence of uh, the emergency room but not sort of here in, in ways that, that we've been able to, to dialogue with them. Because this came up several years ago when they were going to get rid of the emergency room. So, you know, I think one aspect of leadership then as a a mayor and city council is, are we going to wait for NAH to make a decision uh, to inform us of what are they going to do? Or do we want to be proactive as leaders and really push an agenda of dialogue? And I would say they gave us significant notice at this last council meeting that we need to be exercising some leadership on this topic and not just sit back and wait for them to decide. So I think we should be pushing for dialogue with them as regularly as reasonably possible uh, to try to find where there is the possibility of common ground to maintain that relationship. We've got a city economic development director. I mean, you know, Pete, you talk about uh, recruiting businesses. This is sort of a, that kind of function, right? And it may be in this case to retain one that we already have. But I think as leaders, we need to be pushing this conversation and not just wait for NAH to come I think to us. Telling the people there's an emergency center here was it was really productive, of positive feelings about Sedona and and decisions to move here. Um, I guess another uh, topic, and and uh, and you guys can, can kind of pick topics you want, is climate change because uh, climate change seems to me is one of the hardest problems in the world to deal with because it's so diffuse, affects the whole world, a lot of the world in small ways, some of the world in very very big ways now. Um, so Sedona has a very progressive, innovative, and interesting program about climate change. I know it can be improved. So we have a candidate running for mayor who's a climate change denier. She doesn't believe there is climate change. It's all some giant conspiracy. It's a great conspiracy that's... uh, I, I won't repeat all the conspiracy theories because, like, they can't keep up with them anyway, you know, at my age. Um, so let's talk about, you, do you both support the climate change program in Sedona, the environmental thing? Yeah, Pete, go ahead. Yeah, I do. Our climate action plan that, that was put together is, a, you know, is a, a great piece of work, and it, it led in cities in Arizona, certainly, and really across the country about outlining actions that we can take. So, yeah, climate change is real. I, I don't know what uh, you can deny about it. But I think more importantly, uh, anytime we talk to our residents about the importance of climate change, the overwhelming majority of us talk about wanting to address some of these issues. And, uh, and you know, every, every poll that we do, every feedback that we get, the community plan was another one. Climate mm-hmm. change is a topic so it was demanded by our residents, and city council executed it and, and created a plan, and, and that's what it is. So, so it's not sort of uh, – you hear some of these people on uh, social media that, that seem to suggest that somehow the city council was dropped down from outer space and, mm-hmm. and, Im, and imposed on the city of Sedona. But, in fact, there are elections for mayor every two years. All you have to do is vote. And for city council, like you folks are running for, there's an election every four years. Mm-hmm. So if you don't like the way, you can vote rather than 
I don't know, spin your brain around conspiracy theories until you don't know what to do. So, Brian, go ahead. Yeah, it, it really is sad that we're having to have that part of the debate uh, as it relates to uh, you know who we're going to elect into the office here in the city. Um, the, the the science behind climate change is is very straightforward and uh, and, it, and it is in fact undeniable. So uh, as stewards of this earth and, and of this town, we do owe it to you know the people living here now and our future generations to take reasonable action to preserve what we have, uh, be it. Uh, greenhouse gas emissions, preserving our water, protecting against wildfire. All those are parts of the uh, the climate action plan. And as Pete noted, uh, the residents overwhelmingly said through the community plan process that protecting this environment is actually their number one mm -hmm. priority. And that is the basis for where the climate action plan came from. Now, would I make some changes to it? Yeah, I would make some changes to it. I think it's overly broad. And I think that, that we could focus on fewer topics that really make a difference. But it's a great start. And, you know, the, the candidate that you referred to that's, you know, really opposed to it says, well, there's no measure associated with it. Well, there is. There actually is a baseline that uh, the sustainability staff put together, and they're uh, updating it and, and making it a little more uh, of a clean measure, no pun intended, uh, you know, going forward. So there absolutely is, uh, you know, a desire for accountability associated with this plan. It's not just a feel good to spend money uh, to say that, you know, we're doing our part. Like there, there, there is some, some real effort behind this. We have a candidate, Armstrong, who's the, uh, the climate change denier. And it was really hard to get the science out over the last 20 years about climate change. But I, I'm very encouraged to hear you, you say that Finally, the, the, at least people in Sedona are, recognize there's climate change and recognize there's things can be done, even on the city level, not just on the national and international level, not at some big environmental conference, but can be done by people in Sedona. Yep. Uh, yeah, and, and you're right, there, there are, and, and Brian is right when he talks about the plan, you know, it was the first draft uh, it went through, and, and surely it can be changed and updated and focused. I agree with that, that, you know, as an engineer, and Brian's an engineer, you know, we tend to look at the first question we ask when we're confronted with a decision is, well, what exactly is the problem that we're trying to solve? And then what's our approach? And then what kind of measures do we put in? And it's those measures specifically that I'd like to see us focus a plan. I'd like to see us focus around water. Flooding, water, water use, water reuse, um, and uh, and then fire, fire protection, fire mitigation, fire prevention, those kind of measures. Those, I think, are the critical issues when we're experiencing this drought, whether the drought's related to the climate action or not, the drought is real, and water and fire are critical issues, I think, that would be good for us to discuss. But beyond that, the city has a legitimate role yeah. for uh, modeling behavior and so our re replacement of our fleet with electric cars and 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 using solar at city hall those kind of things demonstrate to uh residents that there is 
options that we can do. And the more you get, the cheaper it gets, and so the citizens get. Oh, uh, this is a, a new field for cities to think about. I mean, sure. There's other cities in Arizona, and the, like Sedona, Flagstaff, and the last year have been talking about this because people realize that you, that sort of T-shirt slogan that everyone's had going back to the 70s, you know, think globally, act locally, mm. and that it's something within new within the last five or six years that cities are thinking about what specifically can we do as the city, and, you know, there's for to create some small change in our local area because we can't affect the whole world, but there's a lot of things we can do. And if we all, you know, it's the idea if every city works on these issues, then the, the cumulative effect is great, even if it's only tiny. 45 minutes goes by really quickly. <laughs> yeah. and I want to give the candidates a chance to talk about an issue we haven't discussed. Uh, I just will start with you, Brian. Is there an issue that you think is important that we haven't brought up? I know we can't bring them all up, folks, because there's too many issues. And I, the 45 minutes sounds like a lot of time. Almost nobody gives candidates 45 minutes, mm-hmm. but it, it, it goes by really quickly. So maybe for both of you, is there an issue that you think is really important that we haven't discussed? Well, I think we've talked about uh, many of the the important ones that uh, residents are talking with us about. Now, again, in reaching out via the community plan update process, uh, traffic, you know, remains top of the list. And I don't think we can, you know, pave our way out of having traffic woes, but I think that many of the initiatives underway as part of the SIM, the Sedona in Motion program, will help mitigate some of the pain points. But what I'm excited about, and it actually touches on the climate discussion is having a a trailhead shuttle program and moving towards an environment of park once and use Sedona's public transportation. And so we had a really successful rollout of, uh, you know, kind of version 1.0 of the trailhead shuttle program at spring break. And, uh, you know, we've learned a lot through that process. I mean, tens of thousands of people have made use of that. And that keeps cars from driving up and down 179, for instance, uh, and trying to overfill the lot at Cathedral on Back of Beyond Road. So uh, I think it's really important that we can continue to learn uh, because there is a lot of learning to be had still uh, as it relates to to rolling out this transit system. But I think that uh, it's a huge opportunity for us to get cars off the road, which will improve the quality of life for our residents, which Pete and I hear it. People want quality of life and sitting in traffic in Sedona, even though many of us have come from big cities where we were used to it, we don't want it here. And I get that. And so what can we do that's going to help with that? And I think getting to where we have tourists in particular, the day trippers in particular, uh, getting them to park at the outskirts of town and use our public transit so they're not clogging up our roads has you know, a nice uh, environmental impact as well as a quality of life impact for our residents. Quality of life also includes, and we did talk about a little bit, workforce housing, right? The rise of short-term rentals is definitely linked to the the decline in in long-term rentals. Our workforce has been pushed out of town. We all know it. We see it when we go to restaurants and the services in town. They're they're changed because it's hard to get workers now um, for many reasons. Um, But with that decline in population, that loss of our long-term renters, you know, our sense of community has been affected. We've lost families and and people that contribute, you know, in a different way than the retirees and the part-timers and visitors that are here. And we need them back. So we need to grow that population back because we're not going to, in the near term, lose short-term rentals. So we need to build more housing. 
smaller homes, tiny homes, apartment homes, all these things. We need to densify along 89A, do mixed-use developments where commercial and retail are on the ground floor and some housing above and other projects that we can do um, to to get uh, workers and, and families and grow our – I want to see more – Police officers and firefighters and teachers and bike shop employees, right? All these people need to come move back into town. Like Brian said, are we going to fix it all in Sedona? No. We have a moral obligation to do what we can and then work cooperatively with the cities across the Verde Valley to get more housing built and a transportation system that works. I think that's a a great summary. Um, When I started working 20 years ago in Sedona, the population of people, the, the city was divided between retirees, the people who worked in Sedona, and the visitors. It was like a, a triad, and there was like a stool with three uh, legs. But what's happened is that the the workers and the guys I knew who, who drove Jeeps, who worked in the, everybody pretty much here works one way or another in the in the tourist industry. It's just the bottom line. That's our industry. That's our giant coal mine, whatever you want to, you know, in back east or something. That's the big factory. So tourism is what drives the economy. And I've seen those people leave. They can no longer live here. The housing that the guys lived in, anybody who was single and one income is gone from Sedona unless they inherited some money. <laughs> so I, I think that's important. Um Karen, you got a question for these no, guys? No, just, just back in what Steve said in the, you know, on the school board. I've been on the school board here now for 20 years and running one more time this fall. But in 15 years, we've decreased three to 400, you know, counting is sort of hard to, three to 400 students of that K-12 sort of age in Sedona because their families are gone. The students don't leave without them. And that's contributed. Some of that has been immigration policies. Some has been the recession in 2009. And some of it is housing. It's been an ongoing issue which is caught part of the reason why there's a slight decline that's contributed to this decline in people in the whole area, which causes all these business issues, northern areas, all these companies, northern areas on the health care, to say, well, is this where we want to be? And we need to, you, know, you can't flip a switch and do something, but then all of those solutions are going to take time. It's time we need to sit down and seriously talk about them in Sedona and in the county, as the county level as a whole, and all the cities in the Verde Valley, and get together and say we all have to work together to solve this problem and come up with solutions. They're not all going to take place in Sedona. Some may be in another community, but we need to sort of figure out what each community and the county as a whole can do to mitigate some of this. Yeah. I think you both ride bicycles and bike around maybe in town, but when you bike around in town, folks, what you see is construction everywhere. Scattered all over the city are single-lot constructions, infill, and yet the population declines even as the amount of, of, of houses and homes is, increases. I mean, that... How can we undo that, that process? Of, I mean, I, well, we can't really. We don't have time to talk about Airbnbs. I know a very favorite topic of Sistona human beings. Uh, but, but that's the process. The housing goes up, but the population goes down. That's true. Um, uh, and you're right. We don't have enough time to talk about short-term rentals. I want to go back and reiterate sort of what you were saying there, Karen, that these problems are tough. 
They take focus, they take time, they take money, they take some experience in getting through the process and holding staff focused on the pro- on the process. And uh, and I think that's what both Brian and I can help the city council with. Karen, we've got one minute. Did you want to talk um, about education Yeah, I've got one minute, just things. Um, you one may minute have, and ten <laughs> seconds, Karen. Um, the Arizona legislature passed a bill at the very last minute. The governor just signed it, expanding vouchers for private schools to essentially every student in Arizona. Arizona can now get my taxpayer money to send their child to a private school. And to, there is a, a, a petition drive that just started to repeal that specific law. So we'll, we'll be seeing things about it. You'll be seeing people with tables that say, please sign the petition. People may knock on your door, so please sign that. What that will do is put this law on the ballot, not until 2024. But if the petition gains enough signatures and gets certified, that stops the law, basically enjoins the law for two years in which the legislature could come to their senses, perhaps, and repeal the law. We're hoping that they, we get some people who also can repeal the short-term rental laws. And things. But this is an, a new procedure. It's going to need like 140,000 signatures by the middle of September. So we will be having a show between now and then talking about education issues specifically. So, oh, well, Thank you. And I, I want to thank all our sponsors, Democrats of the Red Rocks, the Yavapai um, County Democratic Party, um, and all our, all our donors who really supported us in the uh, fundraiser that we had. And we want to start, uh, thank Steve Segner at uh, El Portal, a wonderful little hotel. Recommend it to your friends, and if they, particularly if they have a dog, <laughs> it's like the best dog place ever existed. Um, so we we'd like you all to support us. This and all our podcasts will be on our website vvid.org. Check out our Facebook page. We have a new Facebook page. We're getting it up. It's getting going. Thank you, folks. You've been listening to Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show focusing on the political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and our nation at large. Catch us every Monday morning after the 8 a.m. news, right here on AM 780 KAZM. It's beautiful out there, folks. Have a great day.